Welcome to the Smart Talk series, a Henry George School of Social Science podcast. The Smart Talk series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Our discussion today came from our archives again and was recorded in September of 2014. Our talk is hosted by our former president, Andrew Mazzoni, and Ted Gortney. Ted was the executive director of the Robert Schockenbach Foundation, an organization that promotes the ideas of Henry George. He has worked as a land assessor, both domestically and internationally, where he learned to optimize land values in order to create robust funding for government projects. We were lucky enough to talk with Mr. Gordney about how his experiences in land assessment influenced his Georgist philosophy, land and real estate policy, and how speculation can deter healthy economic growth. We hope you enjoy this talk, and make sure to check back on our page every week for a brand new episode. Ted, welcome to Smart Talk. We'll pick up our conversation first trying to capture all the experience you've had in implementing land assessment policies all around the world, not only in the United States. We'll talk about your experience in Greenwich, Connecticut. We'll talk about your belief in the Georgia's philosophy. But the first thing I'd like to bring up is talking about cities, which is something you're a specialist in. Please discuss why a Georgia's tax system would eliminate the sprawl and the spreading out of cities and uh, forcing of people to marginal areas and in effect uh, disrupting communities, leaving vacant land and uh, essentially making a bad, bad job of land policy and, and real estate policy in the United States. Well, my first job as an assessor was in Southfield, Michigan. And when I went there, I found out that uh, the land had not been reassessed in many years. And as a result, um, people were speculating in land. They were not using it. And the city council and the mayor of the city wanted to see development occur. So what we did was to simply assess the land properly. The land was assessed at about half of what it should, been, should have been, so we doubled the assessment on land. And the buildings were over-assessed because of infrequent revaluations. Re so we were able to reduce the buildings at the same time that we increased the land values. It resulted in the city really developing and developing uh, in a very positive way. Uh, new subdivisions, office buildings, and uh, even today it still continues in a very developed form. It does away with the problems of sprawl and people moving further and further away. Why? Uh... Why didn't other towns around that particular town adopt that? And did people from your town move to other towns to escape, let's say, the land assessment taxes? Well, some of the surrounding towns did adopt it. I know our county board of equalization encouraged the other assessors to do exactly what we did in reassessing the land values. Some of them did it, but other ones just didn't do it because of inertia. They didn't get around to it. Uh, people, instead of leaving our community, flocked to our community because we were raising public revenue from what was naturally there. And the, t and the values were growing and everyone was moving to our city because of the po positive aspect. The one city that was adjacent to us was Detroit. 
And they, of course, went exactly the opposite way. They did not reassess their property, and they went into a, a long period of decline. Which we see. Let me ask you this. The uh, assessment techniques, I don't want to uh, get the viewers involved in, uh, in the micro uh, discussions here, but I think it's important, when, when you went to the town, did they have a land map? What did you find at hand to be able to begin the process of correct assessment? I went to that town when um, it was in 1967. It was really before the computer age. However, the town did have a billing system. Uh, that, that's really all they had was a record of the ownership and the size of the property and the land value and the building value. And we were able to use just that very limited information to increase all the land assessments and to decrease all the building assessments. We were able to study the market, the sales that occurred, and we found out that in some areas, the assessments were way far too low on the land and too high on the buildings. And then we had our commercial center, which really had such outdated values that by simply putting the new values on, it caused massive commercial development. Uh, we went from a, a two, 2 million square feet of office building to 27 million square feet of office building, practically the same amount that downtown Detroit has. Wow. Did, uh, did the overall assessments go up? You, you reduced them on, on the buildings and you increased them on land. Was it revenue neutral or not? It was more or less revenue neutral because we were able to drop the, uh, the, the tax rate, the mill rate, considerably. While the assessments went up, the tax rate went down so that in all people, for the most part, did not pay any more taxes. Uh, the commercial section did pay more because they were so, so under-assessed. So in, in, in essence, really, the homeowners were the big benefiters. All right, but you wouldn't have uh, been able to uh, put on a full uh, land value tax simply because the offset reduction of income and, uh, and uh, sales taxes and capital gains taxes would not have been available to you. So you would have had to only go up to a certain limit. What was the limit that you could have comfortably gone up to without becoming punitive? Well, in, in most cities in the United States, uh, the property tax makes up the majority of the revenue. When I was the assessor in Greenwich, 86% um, of all of our revenue came from uh, land values. Uh, that's because the town had no right to collect anything from income or sales tax, and there weren't any state grants. So in essence, uh, we vir virtually were a town that taxed land values for almost all of the needs that we had other than the parking tickets and those types of things that were collected in addition to the land tax and the building taxes. Take, taking Greenwich, could you have raised the land tax theoretically enough if everyone around the country did the same, to cover state and federal taxes. And how much more would that assessment have been to do that? I know it's a theoretical question and you could never really approach it, but let's assume we did a full land tax nationwide. Greenwich's taxes would have gone up how much? Could you estimate it, guess? Order well, of magnitude? Uh, um, it, would, it actually would, would have to go up but it would only go up enough to offset those other potential taxes. I did a detailed study in the state of California three years ago, and I found out that if we went to strictly a land tax, 
the state of California could eliminate the all income tax, all sales tax, all building taxes, and simply collect the, the rental value of land. And they would have to, they would only have to collect about two thirds of the rental value of land to do that. And they would have a surplus so that they could actually pay back money to the citizens as a dividend. So I think the federal tax would have been about a third nationwide of the total taxes collected. So theoretically, you could have covered the total California assessment with uh, a land value tax. That is correct. And there, there's been places like the study that was done in Australia, they could cover not only the local property taxes, but all federal taxes, all provincial taxes. So that there, there's records that show how this can be done. And the land has enough value that it can not only offset all taxes, but still yield a dividend to individuals. That is a surplus. Are you in favor of, uh, let's look at it this way, taking the land value dividend and paying it as, as a citizen's dividend and then let the counties and state go after the citizen for the correct proportion? Or you rather pay it to the county and let the county be the tax collector? Do you have any preference on that? Well, I, I really prefer to have a local collection, assessment and collection of taxes. And um, I think that there are some countries, for example, that, that use the local collection of property taxes to offset uh, federal taxes. Uh, and, and that can be done. Um, there's certainly enough value. I know when I went to China recently, we had enough value that it could not only replace all taxes, but again, have a surplus. Uh, here in our country, before I would send out dividends to people, I would pay off the national debt. I would do the infrastructure that's necessary. I would build everything that's necessary so that our country is back on a footing with the rest of the world. Okay. The, uh, if you had implemented it in California and no other state did that, would you have expected any leak, leakage or out-migration from California on the theory that uh, you would have run away from, uh, from that taxation? or not? What, what is your opinion on that? There would be massive immigration to California. People, people would flock from all over the world to California if we were collecting all revenue from land and if there was no income tax, sales tax, or property tax. Basically, California would again become the strongest, one of the strongest places in the world to do business. Uh, we would get away, get away from our problems we have right now, and we would see new businesses started. We would see people flocking to our state, and that that we know that was that that we asked people in our survey. I see. Would uh, of course when we talk about land uh, taxes, we also talk about resources and other other natural um, elements. Why don't you, for our viewers, explain what you mean by land in its full sense? Well, land includes um, the location uh, of the property and it includes all the amenities that are given to that property, you know, such as being on a river or stream, such as being close to parks. Uh, it includes uh, not only all the features of the land location, but it includes all of their natural resources. Basically, anything that's produced by nature is called land. And land would include, for example, petroleum resources, minerals. It would include timber in the forests. It would include uh, um, water. It would include all things, basically, and even the electronic uh, spectrum where we have our television and, and radio and telephones. 
Uh, all of these assets are land assets. Okay. That being the case in California, how do you explain, in California, how do you explain Proposition 13 uh, carrying the day in that state? Well, we actually, the, the uh, proposal that we put forward was to modify Proposition 13. Uh, we were just modifying it so that instead of the problem we have right now in California is Proposition 13 was sold to homeowners on the basis that it would reduce their taxes. The longer they lived in their homes, uh, the better off they would be. But what they didn't explain in it was, in essence, businesses do not transfer real estate. Uh, when real estate transfers, the assessment would be increased. Now, homeowners sell their real estate all the time. As a result, what happened in California was business and, and industry used to pay two-thirds of the property tax and homeowners one-third. It's now reversed. Homeowners are paying two-thirds and business and industry are paying one-third. So California is partly in desperate shape because of Proposition 13. If you're a new home, a new home buyer coming here, uh, you have to pay taxes based upon uh, the full market value of your home. But if you've lived here for 30 years, you go back and pay the taxes on what it was worth when you bought it or what it was worth in 1976. What is it going to take to turn California around from essentially a destructive tax policy? Do you see any will to do so? Do you see any movement for that? I know you're working hard yourself on that. My own thought is that it requires a, uh, a, uh, a proposition to change Proposition 13. And that would be basically to do away with the income tax, the sales tax, the property tax, and replace those with the tax on land rent. Uh, I think that any business or industry would find this to make sense because as they built new improvements, they would not be taxed for those new improvements. I think it would be attractive to homeowners because as homeowners added on to their properties, right now the assessments go up, but they would not go up under a revised Proposition 13. So I think it would be beneficial to homeowners, to business, to industry. And I think that properly sold, they would understand it. It does require a constitutional amendment, an initiative, and that's the big problem is it does take some time and effort to get the message out. Okay. Let's go from California to your experience in the 1990s when communism fell and you were in Eastern Europe. I believe you were in... Uh, Estonia, Latvia, and in the, Soviet, in the Soviet Union itself, looking at the possibilities of starting from scratch with a land value-based system. What happened there? What was your experience and why didn't it happen? My, my most successful um, venture was uh, in Estonia. Um, in in uh, Estonia, they actually did adopt a, a land value tax. I also was able to get the city of Novgorod, which was the old capital city of, of Russia um, centuries ago, uh, to adopt it, but it did not get implemented in Novgorod um, for political reasons. The mayor and council actually got thrown out because of they were going to do it. I also went to St. Petersburg, which is, was at the time called um, um, uh, Leningrad. And in that case, I was asked to set up the entire financial system for the city of, of uh, St. Petersburg. They had a new mayor. 
Uh, they uh, were just brand new uh, from the old Soviet uh, uh, chokehold and becoming a city. And they said, if you'll come and set up our financial system, uh, we'll give you a job doing it. I Unfortunately, I had three children in high school and I just couldn't do it. Uh, it was interesting though, because at the meeting I had with them, the mayor said that he had just hired a new, uh, a new person who would work with me. He was just a, a fresh person who came from the former, um, uh, formerly a spy in, in, in Germany. Uh, and uh, he introduced me to him. His name was uh, Valdemar Putin. And he was going to be my assistant in setting up the financial system in St. Petersburg. Oh my God. But I did not take that job. I'm oh kind of glad God. I didn't because I think my life would have been on the line in a few years. I see. Well, how would you approach that? Just here's a case where they probably didn't have assessments. I don't know how the Soviets, I guess the Soviets just collected uh, uh, product or, or tax money from industry. And I don't know if they, I'm not familiar with the fact of, of them taxing any rents and essentially just taxing the industrial uh, units that they had. Uh, are you familiar with what they did before you showed up? It was the, it was the former Soviet uh, system. And under the Soviet system, there was a centralized uh, property tax in all of, all of the, uh, uh, the communi uh, communist uh, uh, you know, satellite uh, countries. Uh, and that was kind of an administrative thing where they put a nominal value on the land and they put most of the value on the improvements. Uh, and when I went to, you know, like Latvia, I, immediately I was able to see there that uh, it was a matter just of reassessing the land properly, that they could increase their revenue enormously and that the buildings could be dropped enormously. So they had a structure um, in place then? They, they had did a have structure. a structure in place, yeah. It wasn't like they were starting with nothing. They did have something in place. It was just not very good. And, and virtually every city in the United States and most of the world has a property tax structure in place. They do send out property tax notices and bills. So it's not like it's something that you have to start with scratch. You can go virtually anywhere and find that they have something. It's a matter of simply improving what they have so that it makes more sense from an economic standpoint. But in your experience, and we're going to draw on your experience, around the world, uh, if we can generalize it, in the United States, if we think that the full value of uh, land tax would be something on the order of a third of the GNP, how much is, how much is co collected currently as land or property tax? I guess we can't separate the two so easily. But would you have an estimate in mind right now as to what percentage we do collect? Obviously, no, nothing close to the one-third. Right now, we're collecting about, on average, about 1% of the property value, which probably would work out to being um, a very small fraction of the gross national product, um, perhaps uh, 4%, something like that. And it could, it could be much, much greater. It could be up to 33%. And I know that, that just I did a figure on the world based upon my estimate of 33%. There's $17.7 .7 trillion of land value based upon the current statistics of gross national product that we have. That's an awful lot of money. That, that's much more money that's collected for property taxes now. And uh, I think that, or, or for, for any taxes. So I think it would make sense virtually anywhere. Okay. And you're basically... Uh taking the Australian study, I would imagine, as your 
as your basing point yes. there. You're yes, I am. And I, I'm, I'm taking that and I've also kind of plotted it against the research that I've done in California and in other places. Okay. And I think it's, it makes sound, it's sound judgment. We've done a study here at the, at, at the school and we come out with something like 35% of, uh, of the GNP would be uh, land value. And uh, so I think the converging point of one third is probably a good, a good baseline. If one country adopted it and not another country adopted it, the country who adopted it would have an advantage or disadvantage relative to the rest of the world, in your opinion? I think you've already answered the question from California's point of view. It would have an enormous advantage over every other country in the world. Business and industry would flock to that country because business and industry understand a land tax. They understand that what's being taken is what is natural. And what is not being taken are the, is their produce. What is not being taken is their productive uh, ability. What they're producing is not being taxed. And they understand that the people who are not being taxed will buy goods. And they will, they, they will not only have a sound business producing goods, but they'll have a solid market buying goods. If people and, and businesses are not taxed, but rather rely upon their revenue from natural resources, you can just see that any country, any city, any state would have a great advantage over everybody else. How about a country, uh, and I'm going to feed you this question, how about a country with no resources, nothing to speak of, like Taiwan? Uh, if they did it, which in a way they did, uh, they boomed and they had no real endowment, uh, for example, compared to California. Any comments on that? Well, you don't really necessarily have to be well endowed with natural resources. What you will, will be endowed with is land locations and the ability to not tax businesses and people. If you collected nothing from natural resources, you would still uh, not be injuring people and injuring business by taxing them. So forget, forget the natural resources. If you simply redid the property tax, and raise the revenue from land rent or land value, that would give you an enormous advantage with or without natural resources. All right, so you're basically saying that location, uh, locational uh, advantage with people who are productive uh, really creates enormous value, especially if that, that, that's a tax on land and not their personal income or their businesses. You're basically saying, Location itself, untaxed, has a powerful effect on productivity. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's definitely true. Definitely true. Location and choice location is what gives value to the land. And people seek the most valuable land because they can produce more goods on it, be more productive. And so it's just natural, people, to choose the best land that's available. And they're willing to pay the taxes for that advantage that they get. And we see that virtually in every city in the world, that the best, everyone knows what the best land is. And everybody so Manhattan wants, is, okay. everyone wants okay, to be so, close to that best land. Okay. So Manhattan and Hong Kong is no surprise to you? No, it is not. The productivity, okay. I mean, Manhattan has no resources other than talented people right. and location. And, and Hong and Kong, also the same. Yes. Now, traveling back to communist China, where yes. you've been there and you've, you've studied the 
the lay of the land, so to speak, are they, in effect, using a modified or quasi-Georgia's system inadvertently? Uh, the government basically owns the land, it leases the land, and maybe getting some of the benefits of a Georgia system in by indirection. Your comments on that? Yes, they are leasing the land and making the land available on a auction-type basis uh, to developers. However, they're starting now to run out of valuable land that they can uh, auction off and collect taxes on. First, the amount of taxes that they're collecting are very small. Their leases are not uh, what they should be in terms of collecting land rental value. Uh, and, and they're reaching a point now where they're developing all these new cities and they're running out of land. They want to protect their farmland and they're going out of the way to be sure that farmland is protected, but they really need a new source of revenue. And that's why we spent um, um, two weeks with them this last year uh, explaining a new source of revenue, and that is basically charging a, a, a land rent or a land tax. And that there they could, we, we did the actual numbers, they were able, would be able to collect $2.1 trillion of land rent, uh, and they would be able to not only replace all of the taxes they currently have, but also give every citizen a $5,000 uh, equivalent, $5,000 uh, uh, rebate. Uh, no city has done that yet. We've, we've presented the idea to two cities, and we're waiting to hear back. But I think because of uh, lethargy, people don't tend to do things uh, until it's been kind of someone else does it first. So I'm not. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we'll get a a, a Chinese city to adopt it. But no one has done it. Why yet. not the main government? I mean, they have a. You know, a powerful central government, uh, they can coordinate and make things happen perhaps faster than we can. Uh, have you tried or any initiatives to get the central government of China to consider a, a nationwide land value tax? Well, our, the, the grant that we were given for the travel expenses and so forth was a federal grant from the national government through a university. And we did publish a book, and that book has gone out now to the uh, to, to the key members of government. Uh, again, though, it takes some real salesmanship, and we're, we have not been given the opportunity to get over there and to sell the key people on the idea. It, the information has been published. It's available. It's in both the English and Chinese language, and we're hoping someday to get a phone call. But uh, again, there's great lethargy. People just don't seem to uh, think in terms of what positive, major positive change and how it could reshape the entire world. Well, they do have a history, of course, they probably don't appreciate it, of Sun Yat-sen, the uh, nationalist leader who was a Henry George uh, uh, follower, and in effect, Taiwan uh, uh, benefited from that. Uh, maybe the, the communists uh, just do not want to be a follower of Sun Yat-sen. You don't pick up any of that? Uh, yes. Okay. You do. So they they do have uh, some some examples right there that they could follow, and uh, we just have to see them doing it. Again, it doesn't seem like they're they're moving on what ideas are right in front of them. Well, let's go back to uh, Australia. I think recently, uh, and I'm trying to recall this from uh, memory, uh, Australia is kind of a hotbed of. Uh, land value taxation. They have the studies, uh, they have kind of a progressive tradition, 
and I think they tried to impose a tax on their resources, especially the ones that they were going to export. In effect, a resource tax, which would be, you know, in the spirit of, uh, of, of the land value tax. And industry absolutely howled about that in Australia. Are you, are you aware of that? Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, most of their resources were going to China. China right. And uh, the, the resource industries uh, put up a fight and stopped the taxation of resources, which is unfortunate. What would their argument have been? I mean, the long-term economic argument is not valid, but would they have argued that perhaps they would have bought the resources someplace else and in effect you have tax arbitrage, you know, working here? Or say it another way, if there was a Georgia solution everywhere, they would have had no choice but to accept the, that uh, uh, tax policy. But there they fought tooth and nail to prevent any sort of uh, uh, tax on the resources itself. Yeah, in essence, what they've done there is they've asked every Australian citizen to take out money out of their pockets to subsidize the resource industries. By not taxing the resource industries, every other Australian has to make up the, the lost revenue. It's very unfair, and I think that someday maybe the people will wake up and say, why am I paying so much money to subsidize the resource industries? We're actually doing the same thing in the United States. Um, they pay some taxes, but they pay such small taxes in compared to what their resources are worth. Let's assume I came back to the United States and I, I wanted to start a land tax movement in Manhattan, the home base of finance and, and uh, real estate value and so on. And I went to the uh, landowners in Manhattan and they said, look, I'm paying most of my rent to banks to finance further purchases of real estate and, and further speculation because I'm making my money on capital gains. And why would I want to have a, a tax on land value, which is the bulk of where the value is going on, why would I want to do that? Uh, I, why would they want to do that, the speculators and, and big real estate owners in Manhattan? And then I'd go to the suburbs and say, wouldn't that be a good idea to have a land value tax? And they'd all say, well, you know, we're New Yorkers. We have some good property appreciation in our houses. And I don't want to tamper with that. That's, uh, that seems to be my investment bank. And you want to tax that? And how will I know that it'll come back to me in other ways? Your, your response to that? Well, I guess that uh, there will be some land speculators um, who will have to pay more than what they're paying now. However, more than half the people that live in the United States are, are tenants. They don't own any property. Uh, around 65% of people living in the United States do not own property. They're, they're tenants. Uh, what we're talking about then are the people that own homes. Their taxes are, you know, if it was a land value tax, the taxes would be insignificant. In fact, they would go down as long as income and sales were not taxed. All homeowners would benefit. So they, they would not argue against it. Um, the only people who might argue against it are those people that hold, hold acreage, uh, rising in value, or key sites that are sitting there undeveloped or developed in an inadequate way. People buy slums uh, not to tear them down and to build new, new properties, but to speculate on them, to own them for several years. It's just very, very unfair to uh, think, set up our whole system so that a very few people, the 
you know, take advantage of it, whereas the 99%, including all the tenants and all the homeowners, have to subsidize this. So I think that this makes sense in New York. I think it makes sense no matter where you talk about it. Well, Mayor Bloomberg uh, probably would disagree with you because uh, it was under his watch that the Goldman Sachs new building in Manhattan remains untaxed. Its property is untaxed. And the argument was, well, if we tax them, they'll leave and they'll go someplace else. And boy, that's a big revenue producer for New York uh, City because, and I won't just say Goldman Sachs, but JP Morgan, all the big banks are bringing in money from all around the world. And wouldn't we want them to stay here? And why should we, well, shouldn't we encourage them by having, in effect, no tax on their real property and let them bring in the incomes from every place else and supply jobs every, for every place else? And I think, you know, Mayor Bloomberg especially would argue against a land value tax. I think that if Mayor Bloomberg understood the facts, if he had some good advisors, what they would say is that we can keep the businesses, the industries, the homeowners here if we eliminate the income tax, the sales tax, and the property tax. And instead, we collect the rental value of land, only a portion of the rental value of land. Then people would flock to New York City. Then we'd have a problem of not having enough construction, not having enough office buildings, not having enough banks, not having enough of anything, because with the elimination of other taxes, basically New York would blossom. It always has to be thought of in, in, in that way. You know, you don't just come in and implement a land value tax. You have to destroy the taxes that hurt people, that hurt businesses. I know that what's been done so far in Pennsylvania and other places is kind of a, a, a keep the same amount of revenue, but just shift it from buildings onto land. And in a small scale, you know, that works. Then people don't pay any more. It's just that they're paying a different, in a different way. And those that, uh, uh, that have a greater improvement value are benefiting the most uh, as opposed to those that own vacant land. Well, I would continue this questioning, uh, Ted. But I think you've done a fabulous job in explaining a micro and macro Georgia's position. One final question on this round. Why can't we get an assent on something that makes total sense for almost everybody? Why, uh, why doesn't it happen? Why in California especially, which is probably the sixth largest nation in the world by itself, why isn't there an overwhelming uh, groundswell effect in that direction? Um, I think that there are a large number of people that understand the economics of a land tax and the value of eliminating taxes on labor and taxes on production. They're in the background, but they're not people who stand up on street corners and, and advocate for it like a, like a religious person might. I think that the day will come. We just had a conference here in California where we had a large number of university professors who attended as well as uh, other people interested in, in economics. And they pretty much understand it. They understand why we don't have it now, and they understand that it may well happen someday. Uh, we don't see really the leadership at this point coming forward, but I think that once we see the leadership, 
Right now we have a, a, a government that's very dysfunctional with both the Republicans and the Democrats kind of not paying attention to good judgment, good economics, but doing the same old thing that they've been doing all along. And I think that eventually there will be some movement that comes up that really tackles the issue and says, now is the time to make the change. Now is the time to do what is right and raise our revenue, not from people in production, but to raise it from natural resources and land location. That day is coming. What would you do with the poor bankers that can't lend on real estate speculation if we had a land value tax? What would they do for a living? Um, well, people change their professions. Uh, I've changed my profession a couple of times, and it's very easy to adapt to new realities that, that come up. And I would say that uh, there's always a, a good place for, a, a, for economists and and others who, uh, uh, professors, et cetera, uh, to, to do work on productive things. People would have more time and ability to, be, to put their efforts into productive work. And that's the advantage of raising revenue in this way, rather than stifling the economy by hurting both production and distribution of wealth. Uh, thanks, Ted, for joining us. It was the perfect ending. And uh, I think this particular interview is going to have a lot of traction. It was a great exposition on the Georgist position, both micro and macro, and uh, I can't thank you enough for the interview. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share it with a friend. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.